Hi everyone, this is the third podcast in the series looking at the causes of crime. And today we're going to be, or I'm going to be discussing uh, the granddaddy of them all, functionalism. So without further delay, let's get stuck into it. Okay, if we go back to the 1800s, um, sociologist Emil Durkheim, who, who really is the father of sociology uh, and to an extent criminology, he took a good hard look at society, how it functions, why people behave the way they do. And he decided that, look, society is like a living organism. It needs to develop. It needs to grow. And crime and deviancy help do this. So why? Well, if we think of actual examples, um, if I take you back, oh, back to the early 1900s and to the campaign for women's suffrage, for women having votes, it wasn't just women going on hunger strike and chaining themselves to railings that was part of the campaign for women to have the vote. No, women were actually, and their sympathisers, were burning down um, hotels. There were uh, criminal da- other forms of criminal damage attack. And, of course, uh, infamously, um, a, a suffragette ran out in front of uh, a horse race and, and was actually killed by the king's horse. So we can see that there's a positive purpose to crime. But we could also look at the late 60s. In the late, prior to um, legislation coming through in the late 60s, male homosexual acts and abortion were both illegal. Did this mean that male homosexual acts didn't exist before then and that women weren't having abortions before it was legal? Of course not. And the change in law came because it was widely accepted that, look, uh, gay men are having intimacy with each other and women are having what were termed backstreet abortions. So the fact that people were committing these criminal offences at the time This helped to bring about a change in the law. And if we look at gay rights, we now see that that gay people, under the law at least, have achieved full equality. They can get married. They have the same pension rights, inheritance rights. They can adopt children. So we see that crime is good, but it comes with a caveat. Durkheim said that too much crime will overwhelm society. And if we picture some of the riots we've seen recently in America, you can see what happens when there is simply too much crime. It's a free-for-all, it's anarchy, people stealing, doing whatever they like. Equally, Durkheim felt that if there was too little crime, then society would stagnate. We needed just the right amount of crime to help push at the borders, to help move things on. And Durkheim said crime, look, Crime occurs only because people are in what he called a state of enemy, a state of normlessness. And this occurs where people have not internalized social norms, the unwritten rules of society. So what are you know what are these rules? Well, basically, if you think that we are highly socialized animals living in an incredibly complex social structure. Look at it, switch alone. 
170 odd thousand people living together and we need unwritten rules in order that we can get along with each other every pack animal has these un unwritten rules to some extent now with human beings they need to be fairly complex rules because the complexity of our society there are so many of us and the amount of interaction we have with so many people each day so these unwritten rules or social norms these are taught to us by what Durkheim referred to as agents of socialization now these agents of socialization primarily take the form of our parents um, the control theorist Travis Hershey said that essentially the by giving us their norms by being effective agents of socialization parents are like the hidden parents so even when they're not about we're still behaving in accordance with the social norms they've taught us so that's one cause of of enemy that if we haven't been socialized effectively so we haven't taken on board these social norms then we're free to do whatever we like the other explanation for enemy is where we have uh, two sets of competing and often conflicting social norms where this happens they will cancel each other out resulting in confusion so the individual doesn't know which set of norms to follow and this frees them from having to follow either of them so that is enemy it's this state of normlessness because having been socialized effectively and having internalized social norms not only do they tell us how to behave but we have expectations of other people that they're going to behave in the same way and in return if they've socialized um, internally socialized these norms then they're going to expect us to behave in accordance with them so social norms and social pressure have this really conforming effect on us so it really gets us to behave with we're in accordance with society's unwritten rules so you know Durkheim said that look relax crime okay as well as serving a positive purpose crime is inevitable you know Eve and he used the analogy of even in a society of saints crime's going to occur the rules that we live by these social norms are so complicated that even if we were all saints it would be impossible for us to stick to them at all times so that is telling us what Durkheim thought about society it's telling us about why crime is inevitable why crime is positive although not too much crime and not too little crime it's also telling us that people will only commit crime if they are in a state of enemy and we've discussed how it, the causes of enemy are either poor socialization by agents of socialization or we've got these competing or conflicting social norms now Durkheim went on to say look in terms of punishment a punishment and and crime it, it serves you know a further reinforcing conformist um role 
if a defender, if and when an offender is caught and they are punished, this is what's called boundary maintenance. It's that slap on the wrist to the offender, reminding them and anyone else involved in the case, look, social norms apply to you. You have to behave in accordance with them. And equally, when we have particularly appalling crimes um, occur, and unfortunately this happens all too often, then there is a huge public outrage. We get angry about such an appalling and vile crime. Now, this is known uh, as social integration. This is a positive thing in a way because it makes us come together as a society. It binds us more closely to each other because we realise that, look, we've all got the same social norms. And when someone breaks them in such a horrific way, this is unacceptable. And it helps us double down on these social norms and reinforces just how important they are. Before I talk about strain theory, I'll just talk a little bit about, um, as I'm on the subject of punishment, why Durkheim believed that punishment served a further positive purpose. Now, to functionalists, they view the primary role of punishment in being that it should be restitutive. It should, the offender should pay society back in some way, shape or form. And we see this today in things like community service, where offenders are told, right, you have to go and do some public good. So this should be the primary aim for functionalists, that the offender will pay back to society, will make good the harm that they have created. They're not so big on um, retribution, on punishment for, you know, getting back at people, for um, punishment for the sake of it. Punishment should have a deterrent element, but its primary role really needs to be that the individual pays society back. After all, look, we know we don't want to get rid of crime altogether. That at least is the functionist perspective, because if we did, society is just going to come to a grinding halt. It's going to stagnate. So, again, some crime is, is positive, but where the offender has been caught, they need to pay society back. OK, now there is a very specific form of enemy um, that was devised by Robert K. Merton, who was an American sociologist and criminologist. And this is going back to the 1950s. Now, Merton looked at the American dream. And the American dream was that through hard work alone, anyone could make it. Now, does that make sense? No. And Merton thought not. He thought that the American dream was an absolute fallacy, that people could work their socks off from age 16 through to 80, and they could still lead lives of quiet desperation, lives of poverty, not making it. And what was making it? Well, these are what Merton called normative goals. These are the societally approved goals. It's the really big house, the big expensive car, 
the exotic holidays, the designer clothing, the expensive jewellery, having, you know, a massively wealthy bank balance. All these things were signs of material signs of success. And Merton asked himself, well, what happens if the individual works as hard as they can, they do all the right things, but these normative goals are still out of reach? Merton said, where this happens, it creates a strain on the individual. And this strain is a form of enemy. So what happens if somebody is in a situation where you know, as hard as they work, they cannot achieve these normative goals. Well, Merton said that we will amend our behaviour or adapt our behaviour in one of five ways. And he went on to list these adaptations. Now, the first two adaptations do not involve committing criminal offences, or it makes committing criminal offences unlikely. So the first one, he said, was... Um, Conformists, people who just buy into these normative goals and they just put their heads down and they work their socks off in the hope that one day, maybe one day, we'll make it, we'll be able to have the big house, etc. So that's one, and these people are unlikely to commit crime. The second type of adaptation that is unlikely to result in crime are ritualists. These are people who think, okay, these normative goals, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lower them. Instead of the, you know, the, the million pound mansion and the Aston Martin, I'm going to aim for a three bed semi and um, a Ford Focus. So they lower what their normative goal expectations are and they work towards them, and they're unlikely to commit crime. Then we get on to the three adaptations that are likely to result in crime. The, the first of which, and probably the most commonly occurring, are the innovators. Innovators accept normative goals. They want the big house, they want the car, they want the money. But they are going to turn to what Merton referred to as socially non-approved means i.e crime to get it so they're going to burgle they're going to steal they're going to rob they're going to commit any manner of economic crime including dealing drugs to get to these normative goals so obviously crime is going to occur there the the second type of adaptation where crime is very likely to occur these are retreatists these are people who reject normative goals. They're simply not bothered by them or the means to get them. Instead, they take refuge in uh, substance misuse, drugs or alcohol. They are likely to commit crime because they are going to steal to feed their habit. So they engage in societally unapproved means, crime, just to get enough money to to get by and to feed their habit so crime will occur for these um, retreaters the final type of adaptation and this is quite rare these people are rebels now rebels 
not only reject normative goals, but they reject the means to, to achieve them. They typically want to overthrow the capitalist system and bring in a new set of rules. Typically, these people are revolutionary Marxists and anarchists. They want to replace the existing order of things and bring in their own system. And as a result, they are likely to commit crime. Uh, any number of crimes, there will be a political motive to these crimes, but crimes they will commit. So folks, in essence, that is what you need to know about functionalism. And I'll just, because this does go on a bit, this podcast, I'll try and distill it into very few paragraphs. So Durkheim believes that society is a living organism. We need crime and deviancy to help society grow. If we don't have enough crime or there's an absence of crime, society will simply stagnate. If there's too much crime, society will be thrown into anarchy and complete chaos. People commit crime because they are in a state of anomie. You enter a state of anomie either because you have not been socialised properly, um, primarily by your parents, although other agents of socialization do exist and what this means is that you haven't internalized you haven't been taught effectively society's unwritten rules social norms if you haven't internalized these social norms then you're free to behave in any manner that you see fit including crime the other way of entering a state of anime is if you are experiencing competing or conflicting social norms Often this can be because you've come from one culture and you've moved into another culture. But either way, you are in a state of anime. That is a state where there are no compelling social norms restricting your behavior. So we know that punishment or crime is good. We know that where we have punished the offender, boundary maintenance, this is telling the offender, rules apply to you. We know that if there's a particularly appalling crime, uh, social integration is where our, we respond to it by being outraged and disgusted. And this draws us together as a society closer because we realise or reaffirms that we have these shared social norms. In terms of punishment, victim, um, the not the victims, the perpetrators of crime need to pay society back for their actions. They need to um, restore or give back, undo the damage they've done by doing something positive for society. Yes, there's a deterrent element there, but of course we don't want to stop all crime. We reject retributive crime. We reject punishment for the sake of punishment. Okay. In terms of strain, Merton devised, based on the American dream, devised uh, a special form of enemy called strain theory, where if we can't achieve normative goals, the material goals that society say you need to achieve to be a success, if we can't achieve them, then there are five adaptations. We will change our way, our behavior in one of five different ways. The first two, conformist and ritualists, mean that we will not commit crime. However, innovators, rebels, and retreatists if we amend our behavior or adapt our behavior, we will, in one of those three ways, we will commit crime. 
there you have it, folks. I uh, hope you made it through this. Um, don't worry. There is, sadly for you, more to come. Enjoy the rest of your day, folks. <laughs>